what I'm going to do is just kind of a vision thing for 2023. And I guess really I'm talking about how we can walk in our everyday life as world changers, which, uh, which is what uh, Fiona's testimony explains. I want to get under the bonnet to understand how we can change the world we live in. We're a family, the church is a family, and uh, when you become part of a local church, you become part of a family. And in this family, we believe the most important thing is to encounter God, the presence of God, the person of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And our goal for each and every one of us is that we are equipped and trained to change the world. And by change the world, I mean to be salt and light in your family, whether it's in your marriage, in your workplace, in your office, on your commute, that you are fully convinced that God has equipped you to change the world. And as we gather as family, grace flows from one to another so that the body is built up. So that when we go away from here, we are experiencing an equipping and encounter that effectively launches out into the week that we might change the world. And the way we change the world really fundamentally, the thing I want to talk about this morning, is that we cultivate an intimate relationship with the Lord Jesus. That we cultivate a friendship with him. So that Jesus is not a kind of a casual acquaintance, a kind of person we slightly know, but a person that we're walking with on a daily basis as we're going through our Monday to Friday, Saturday life. So that as a result of this friendship, this walking with Jesus, this knowing him deeply and being known deeply, all of our doing flows out of being with Jesus. So that we have a life with life in it that overflows to the world around us. And I want to talk very briefly about some enemies of being aware and awake to Christ in us. I want to unpack a few enemies um, to that, and I want to talk about a few <coughs> antidotes so that we are increasingly aware and awake to the reality that Christ is in us, the hope of glory. The first enemy I want to talk about is trying to get what you already have. Trying to get what you already have. That might be called uh, legalism. Uh, that's a kind of tit-for-tat idea of I'm always trying to get God. When the Bible says, through the gift of believing, he gave you the right to become a child of God. Believing is a gift of the Holy Spirit. Believing is not a work that we do. Believing comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It's that moment when you might be reading the Bible or you're with another Christian and you become awakened to believing. It's how you became a Christian. That's how you grow as a Christian through the gift of believing. Adoption into the family of God is a gift. You are already seated and elevated in the heavenly realms. The believer can't get any higher if they tried. We're seated with him in Christ. If we're always trying to get what we always have, 
or, or what we already have, our doing exceeds our <coughs> being. That's why sometimes Christians become um, exhausted because they're trying to get something and the way they think they're going to get it and merit it is through action or morality or trying to sacrifice something or trying to prove something to God. And when we try and get what we've already got, our doing exceeds our being. And then we're trying to give away what we're not first experiencing. It's very hard to give away what you don't know you've got. You've got to know you've got it so that you've got it to give it away. And if you don't know you've got it because you're trying to get it, you can't have a life that overflows and a life you can give away because you're more preoccupied with trying to get something rather than be something. Another great enemy is an over-dependence upon our feelings. An over-dependence on our feelings. And we see in Jesus somebody who had absolute faith in the goodness of the Father, but there was a moment on the cross where he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He experienced something in his feelings that made him feel abandoned. And actually what was really happening in that moment was redemptive history, God's the Father incredibly at work, all the promises that the Jesus had come through actually being fulfilled in that moment. So when we're dependent on our feelings, something happens. When we don't feel God in the way we think we should, we sometimes take matters into our own hands. We don't feel him, so we might try and get what we want through uh, taking matters into our own hands. And that relates to the second one, is this is an over-dependence on adrenaline and not necessarily the Holy Spirit. So when we rely on our feelings, we can then sometimes rely on our adrenaline and not the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, I don't do anything unless I see the Father doing it. I don't say anything unless I hear the Father saying it. You hear this, 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 this dependence on God. To Another writer says, our, our greatest business is to put our head on the chest of the Father and listen to what he's saying and then bring that into the world, having been with him. Another great enemy is pride. That's an unwillingness to accept there are things that we cannot control. That pride stops us resting in the goodness of God because we take control of things we have no business taking control of. And pride looks like independence and self-sufficiency. It's an attitude where we go through life where we kind of functionally say to God, I don't really need you. And uh, another one is distractions. Distractions. It can be the worries of life. Jesus talks about the deceitfulness of wealth. It could be the desire for other things. It's interesting that I do believe when we were singing this morning, we really believe genuinely, our heart is genuinely on the accelerator to surrender and encounter God in 2023. But sometimes we have our foot on the accelerator 
and our foot on the brake at the same time because there's also desires for other things, the deceitfulness of wealth and worries and cares of this life. And we need God to do a work in us so that our foot's on the accelerator and he gently lifts our foot off the brake as well. So that our <coughs> encounters with him of surrender go into this afternoon, go into tomorrow morning and go into the week. Another thing that stops us being aware and awake to Christ in us is an inner world <coughs> that's jam-packed with hurts, unforgiveness, anger, and wounds that we've not allowed God to heal. And so our inner world is jam-packed with stuff. And then we wonder why we're not consciously aware of Christ in us, the hope of glory, is because we're so busy with all the other stuff that's crowding out in our thinking. And that links to this one, stinking thinking. <laughs> stinking thinking. The lies that we believe about God. The lies that we believe about ourselves. The lies that we believe about other people. The lies that we believe about our circumstances. And finally, and this list could go, is not an exhausted list, the self can block us from being aware and awake to the reality that Christ is in us, our self-protection, our self-promotion, our selfishness. I have to say, when I became a believer at 18, there was a guy in our church called Walter Long, and uh, Walter was an agricultural worker. He was a man who worked on the fields, and when he was 44, he'd become a believer in, in the Lord Jesus, and been radically and wonderfully born again. And, Rabbit, and, and Walter was this man of very simple faith, not a complex man at all, not a great scholar. You've probably never heard of him. Walter never wrote a book. Walter never did major conferences. Church history don't necessarily know who he is. But while he was walking the earth, he had a very, very simple faith. And he said this. I got to do an interview with him a little bit just before he died. And Walter said this. <coughs> You've got to get rid of self out of your heart and out of your life. That's where a lot of Christian people go wrong. They never get rid of self. So they never know anything of the living Christ who lives in their hearts and in their lives. So Christ is in you. You're not trying to get Christ. If you're a believer, Christ is in you. You're not trying to get Christ to make his home in you. But Jesus did say, follow me. And Walter is saying there that our lives can be so crowded by so many things, we're just not awake, we're just not aware of the reality that Christ is in us. I'm going to land by looking at some antidotes. How can we become a community that's increasingly awake and aware to the reality of Christ in us? What are some of their provisions? And later on I'm going to put the verses that I've looked at on the, on, on the projector. It's about, I've looked at about 21 different verses as we go through this, and you can then sort of unpick, pack those yourself in the week. The first one is this. We have to have a prioritisation upon abiding. It's the whole thing of Jesus and the, the, the vines and the branches. He, he talks about us abiding and remaining in his love. And he talks about the heart of the Father wanting us to bear much fruit, and he wants us to abide in him. Abiding is a believing 
It's a trusting. It's a savouring. It's a resting. It's a receiving. So that our biggest priority comes, becomes, I want to abide in, in the one who is with me. I want to live consciously aware of the Christ who's in me and with me and before me and behind me and beside me. I want to believe him. We could ask when I'm picking up the Bible, we're meditating on scripture, we're considering it. God, give me a heart that can believe. Bring it alive to me. I want to abide deeply. Awaken me to the words that you, you speak to me. Let them become bread to me. I want to trust you deeply. I want to put my weight on you. I want to savour you. I want to savour Christ in a deep way. I want to savour who he is and who he promises to be and how beautiful, powerful and lovely he is. I want to rest in him and relax in him. Jesus says, this is the work I've given you to do. And he says, believe in the one the Father has sent. Some scholars say that Jesus is saying there, relax in the one the Father has sent. To relax in him and to receive from him. And trusting Christ alone. Trusting Christ alone. Trusting who he is and what he says and what he has accomplished on our behalf. So it's an abiding. I believe it's also a conviction and a conviction that nothing of any spiritual or eternal significance is possible apart from this abiding. That apart from me, you can do nothing. Well, there are a lot of things actually we can do, but the question mark is, is it of any real spiritual and eternal significance? We can be busy and active, we can be busy and active because we're trying to get something that we've already got, but it's, the Bible says nothing of any spiritual or eternal significance is even possible apart from abiding in Christ. Without Christ's life, without the life of the Holy Spirit flowing in us and through us, we are utterly and completely and totally barren. That you, you can't, you and I can't do it. We, we can't do it. We, we, we can do nothing. <laughs> and, and that's a hard lesson for us to learn because there's the ego, there's pride that says, no, you, you can do it. And we have to unlearn some stuff. And how do we unlearn it? We allow circumstances to teach us the reality that apart from him, we can do nothing. Circumstances can do one of two things. They can make us angry and bitter and resentful, which is really kind of pointless. Or they can teach us dependence on God. God says, those I love, I discipline. Hebrews says that, then it's repeated again in Revelation 3. I, I don't like that verse. Because, and the Bible says, no discipline seems pleasant at the time. Gives us permission not to like it. But, however, for those who have been trained by it, by those who have been there able to have a harvest of righteousness. And so circumstances teach us something. Painful life events or situations that we cannot change, manage or control, teach us, since you can do nothing, how much help do you need? <laughs> and that takes time, and that's actually a work of God. We, we can't actually teach ourselves that, because I think actually as human beings, 
Um, we, we need the Father to teach us that because we can't make ourselves get it. It's a supernatural thing that he wants to do through our circumstances. We'd say another thing is to be, after that kind of training in our circumstances, we want to be like the younger son in Jesus' parable of the prodigal son. It says he came to his senses. I love that verse. He came to his senses. This prideful, upstart, get my inheritance, go and squander it, waste it, finds he's in a famine, got no food, he's eating pods, or he wishes he could eat pods or food that was given to pigs, suddenly comes to his senses and thinks, actually, in my father's house, there's enough food for the hired hands and servants. So he comes to his senses. I love this quote. <coughs> Until you come to the limits of your own fuel supply, there is no reason to switch to God's higher octane fuel. You'll not even know it's there. You're not even, you, you're not, you will not even know there is a larger source until your own sources and resources fail you. Until we come to that place of, I can't change myself, I certainly can't change other people, can't change the world around me. I can't make people do what they want. I want them to do. I've come to the end of my own resources. I've come to the end of my own fuel supply. Now, I'm simply coming to Christ for grace. And grace is not deserved or merited or earned. For grace, you do nothing. Grace is based on the goodness, kindness and compassion and nature and character of God and not upon the merits of a human being. Because if it's based on the works or activity of a human, then it's no longer grace. It's a wage. It's what you deserved. So we become like the younger son. We come to our senses. So if you're at a place where you absolutely feel a sense of desperation... Lucky you. You're, you're on the brink of the very fuel of heaven. You, you're on the brink of power that is inexhaustible. You, you're in the brink of recognising the grace of God in a unique and new way. When you simply come and say, you know what, I can't fix, sort, do this. I can't do this. And you, you get met with kindness. And you get met with grace, not accusation or condemnation or pull up your socks and try harder. You say, he says, at last, you are now in a place where you can understand, since you can do nothing, here's all my help for you. Another key thing, I think, is that understanding that surrender tends to happen gradually. Surrender tends to happen gradually. Now, I think this is an important thing because I think this morning we were singing, I surrender, and that's a real spiritual thing. Our foot was on the accelerator. But often, it's not just a one moment. It's a gradual process. And why is it a gradual process? Because we're getting to know and trust the trustworthiness of the Lord Jesus. We're getting to know that he is who he says he is. He'll do what he says he'll do. We're getting to realise that he loves us with a, with a passionate love, that he actually likes us and enjoys us and wants us. And we're getting to know that he is so kind and so good. 
that even in those circumstances that can feel so painful, he is lovingly working and creating in us a willingness to surrender. Surrender is about being a disciple of Jesus. It means learning new ways of the kingdom. We're going to have a series on the kingdom. It means the king in his kingdom works different to the way that we work. We're learning to follow God. Maybe in your previous life before you were a Christian, you didn't trust anyone. You were suspicious of everyone. You thought everyone had an angle and was out to get you. And then you come into the family of God and you might bring some of those habits with you. And then you're learning to trust the king and to trust his family and to walk deeply with others. It's unlearning some stuff and letting go. Another unpleasant verse that Jesus said is, pick up your cross daily. Every single day. When we're singing that song, I surrender, you're picking up your cross and saying, all of it, my traditions, my religion, my habits, my priorities, I'm surrendering it all. And then tomorrow morning you get to say to Jesus, teach me to follow you. I want to follow you. I want to pick up my cross today. I want to, I want to lay my life down. I want to believe in your, the way you said your kingdom works. Unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground, it remains alone. What good is it to gain the whole world and every single thing you want and then forfeit your very soul? That, that centre of your emotional health and well-being because you're so gripped hold of it and your white knuckles won't detach and let it go. And Jesus says, what's the point of having everything you wanted but it's killing and destroying you because you're so frightened of losing it? Let it go. And his love whispers and, and, and helps us do that. So it happens gradually. He gradually opens our hands. <laughs> It's understanding in the next antidote that true repentance is actually changing the way you think. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Sometimes we think repentance is crying a lot, saying sorry a lot. It's not really. It's actually changing the way you think. And you change the way you think, not in a one-time thing, it's a lifestyle of following Jesus, of picking up your cross daily, of being taught graciously, not trying to change yourself, but drawing on the one who gives us grace and power. Another antidote is embrace simplicity. There's an old song, again, with Walter Long, who I quoted before. We used to go to the old age people's home to tell them about Jesus. And Walter, every week, would sing that song, Trust and Obey. Trust and obey. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. Embrace the simplicity of a one decision. I will draw on his power to courageously obey him one day at a time, picking up my cross. Embrace simplicity. I will obey him. Another wonderful thing to do is don't divide up your life into the spiritual and the non-spiritual. You know, we can be like that. We can think that Sunday is a spiritual thing and shopping is not a spiritual thing. So if we say all of life is spiritual, so that while we're working or playing or cooking or driving or leading or shopping or visiting friends, we at any point can turn aside and say, 
Oh, Jesus, you're with me. You're with me. You're with me. I'm with you. I'm, I'm with you in this place. Anything you want to do, anything you want to say, anything that we can do together. And what does all this lead to? It leads, a, it leads to a doing for Jesus that flows out of a being with Jesus. So that we have an inexhaustible supply of love. So that we have a life with life in it and we can break off that life and give it away. So I'm going to invite us to stand as we wrap up. The verses are there. Um, you can take a photograph if you like. It'll also be on the YouTube uh, video. I invite us to stand and uh, we're going to invite the Holy Spirit. We're going to, we're going to wherever you're at wherever you're at on any of the things we've looked at you are invited to come to God so you don't have to get through on surrendering something to come to God you come to God maybe right now with your hands clutching onto something and you come to him just as you are you might realise that actually there's a way that you're thinking about your life, your circumstances, other people or God. You think, oh no, that's a bit of stinking thinking. You don't go and say, right, I'm going to get rid of the stinking thinking first, then I'm coming to God. You come with that to God. Because it's grace. There's nothing you actually have to do to earn his grace. It's not a promise you have to make or a commitment you have to make towards change to receive the power that enables you to change. All you do is recognise, wow, Christ is in me, and it was all a gift. Christ is in me, undeserved favour, grace and compassion is mine, because for some reason he loves me. I'm forgiven, accepted, chosen and loved, because he wanted to, and it's amazing. And in that place of enjoying and drawing, we get new appetites. We can actually say to God, I want to I taste and see that you are good. And we can ask him to give us new taste buds. We can actually ask him to give us the taste for him to enjoy him if we don't have it. We can come to him for everything. We don't have to pretend. We don't have to be false. We can be absolutely real with God. So I'm going to ask God that by your Holy Spirit, we would draw on you and draw on your grace and power. That God this year, you would create in us hearts that are increasingly believing and trusting and savouring and receiving in you and you alone. I ask your Holy Spirit to do in us what we just can't do for ourselves. That your power, your grace, your capacity is what we most need. And so wherever we are right now on this journey of walking with the Lord Jesus, wherever we are, you might think in your journey with Jesus, you're just a toddler who's stumbling. He loves the toddler stage. You might be a youth who's running with vigour and passion and power and energy. He loves that. You might feel that your, your body feels actually I'm, a, I'm creaking and I'm a lot older. 
and he loves you. He loves all the stages that we're in. He loves you completely. So I ask right now, Holy Spirit, for a revelation of the love of God in our hearts. I ask you to cause us to be aware and awake of Christ in us right now, to marvel at the reality that God has made his home in the believer's heart. I pray God for such an appetite for picking up our cross daily to follow you, to want nothing more, to, to be drawn to want to follow you daily in your name, Jesus. God, help us right now in our historical moment to allow circumstances to bring us to a place where we come to our senses, where we all, when we all need coming to our senses somewhere. So allow the economic circumstances, allow the reality of, 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 of war or the strikes or unrest or fuel costs. Allow those things, God, to teach and train us. God, we, we don't want to become bitter and defile many through our anger and resentment, but we want to be trained and equipped to draw on you through them, that through these circumstances, God, we might experience that you discipline those you love. And yeah, this is not necessarily from you. You don't start wars. You don't start evil. You don't create economic crisis. Heaven is bountiful and has ex glorious riches. That's your realm. But we live on earth and we want to allow the situations that we face, God, to shape us and train us and draw us to you. That we want to bring our concerns with us to you and lay them at your feet. And where we're frightened and anxious and nervous, we bring that reality to you. We don't perform for you and pretend. We bring those things with us to you in order to leave them with you and place on you the things that are a burden to us. God, I ask you that you would not be for us a superficial acquaintance, a person we only slightly know, that we'd have a deep and intimate and close relationship with the Lord Jesus, that we would hear you knock on the door of the church and we would say, yeah, I want to eat with you. I want to have a meal with you, Jesus. I want to hang out with you. Just to land here, it's interesting. I, li I was listening to a speaker say that he did a lot of work in the Middle East. And he went to a meeting with a man from the Middle East. And this guy wanted to get on straight away with business. He wanted to secure the deal. And the guy said to him, no, first, no, first we, we eat. And first we, 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 we talk. And first we enjoy one another's com company. At the end of the meal, there's lots of time for business. And Jesus invites us into a, kind of a as, as one would expect of uh, Jesus Christ, the incarnate Son of God, it, it, brought up in a Middle Eastern culture, would it invite, knock on the door and say, I want to eat with you this year, but let's make sure that our eating together is, 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 we start with, let's just hang out together, be friends together, let me love you, let me comfort you, let us talk, and then we'll get on to business. And uh, we won't make the whole thing just about business. So Lord Jesus, I ask you for deep, abiding relationships for us as a local community. Amen. So that we will be a family who encounter God, get trained and equipped, grace flowing from one another, so that we would change the world. So that we would overflow into our households, into our marriages, 
onto the bus, into the office, so that people would say to us, what's the matter with you, my friend? To quote another song. And we would say, actually, it's, it's Jesus and Christ in us. I've got a hope. I'm drawing on another source. I've got a resource that's in, in, inexhaustible. And I'm drawing on that. I've got a hope that's greater than the circumstances. That's what's happening with me. And that each and every one of us, and I just feel I want to land here, you might say, you don't know me, and I'm the weakest believer you've ever met, and I'm so terrified and timid, I can't do any of these things. You, you can do it your way, but you'll find it, you'll do it your way as you first make a priority of being with Jesus and then doing with Jesus. You are perfectly equipped to be you where you are. No one better than you where you are. There's no one better in the whole world to represent the kingdom of God and Jesus Christ than you. You are wonderfully and fearfully made and, and you are going to overflow grace and reality being you within the limits of the environments that you're in. He understands that. You're going to be amazing this year as you just walk with Christ draw on him, it might be loud, it might be quiet, and maybe no one will know, but, but you, you, you will bring the reality of heaven where you are. In Jesus' name. Amen.